Welcome to Be Enabled, a podcast by Deskmakers, a company who is dedicated to making the buying process as easy as possible. We discuss how customers are enabled to achieve their design vision through sleek and customizable case goods, desking, and tables. Hello, I'm James Kent for Be Enabled, brought to you by Deskmakers. If you're a dealer in the office furniture space who isn't aligned with a national distributor, does this exclude you from winning large project bids? Well, my next two guests are here to offer some tips and strategies on how you can not only bid on those larger scale projects, but win them as an unaligned dealer. Uh, For those insights, I have with me Robert Cotton. Robert is the owner of Logical Office Furniture in Austin, Texas. Robert, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you. And next, I have Morel Lehman. Morel is the president of Interspace Systems in Valencia, California. Morel, how are you doing today? Fantastic. I, I think a great place to begin is to hear a little bit about yourselves uh, and your role as a dealer and how you work with the end user and manufacturer. Uh, Morel, let's start with you and then Robert. Um, our role as a dealer is to find the best solutions for our clients, and we pick our manufacturers and choose them based on commonalities of vision and function and really how we treat each other and uh, our, really what we have in common as far as customer service and responsiveness and so on and so forth. So, you know, if there's any tension with a manufacturer, it's best not to work with them. Mm. And it's best to work with people that more of a can-do attitude versus this is what we have to offer and we don't go outside the box. We go outside the box a lot. So we like doing that with our clients and with our manufacturers. As far as our role as logical office furniture goes for the client, is we do full in-house design. So usually we meet with our clients, really try to get a good need, not only aesthetically what they're looking for, but... Also, functionality of, you know, what the end user is going to really be doing throughout the day, in and out. We start by setting up our first meeting, go through general walkthroughs, do full 3D design. And then we send it off to the manufacturer for pricing and spec. We handle all the installation and delivery and mainly hold their hand through the project where they question, you know, how soon and dates and all the small details and try to take it out of their court. Excellent. Uh, now, obviously, the role of the traditional office space work environment has gone through quite a transformation over the past couple of years. And I think we all know by now what that transformative event was. But specifically, what have you seen in changes to the types of projects you are getting requests to work on? There's really not a lot of changes for us. We we typically have two kinds of projects. We're very project-oriented, and we have uh, new headquarter projects, and then we have projects of existing clients, which can be an offshoot of their headquarters, which are either expanding facilities, expanding campus buildings, or out-of-state locations. And we our projects have mostly remained the same because our client bases remain the same. So most of our business comes from referral or existing. So we haven't noticed anything different because we are doing what we were doing pre-COVID. In Austin, we saw a lot of different growth and change over the pandemic 
especially with the amount of labs that were coming in and out of the area and what they needed and wanted, especially research and development. I saw a lot of growth in the R&D field here in Austin where it was more tech-based before. We definitely saw, you know, an influx of new clients that were doing straight research for the pandemic and that specifically. So that's interesting. It seems like there's certain businesses that uh, you've captured because of the pandemic. And, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess the pandemic is still here, but sort of post-COVID, are there some specific things happening in the workplace that are requiring changes that you're seeing? And what are maybe some of the trends you're noticing with the current projects that you're working on? For us, I would say um, if there's any change, most of our projects and most of our clients are standardized. We might have a footprint that's for headquarters, and then we have a different footprint, which might be similar but not exact for other locations. The, only, the biggest thing I can say is different is, of course, still adding uh, temperature check stations, mm. which is obviously something we didn't do before, and more huddle rooms or more smaller collaboration areas so smaller groups of people can meet and feel safe together. But our um, general workstation footprint has always been, for the clients we're dealing with, fairly large, like maybe six by seven. So we haven't had to change that. We have a client that does a lot of benching, but they are all six feet apart. And when they look to add privacy screens, they ended up not doing it. Okay. So the, the mixture there is also... Um, kind of a hybrid where 50% of the people are working from the office and 50% of the people are at home or they switch days. And I think that's what we're seeing, the combination of more than changing uh, the way we do our land. And Robert, how about you? Well, I've definitely seen the trend of a taller divider where it was mainly benching before here and I was doing benching after benching product. It definitely reverted to more you know, late 90s, early 2000s, where people are actually looking for that 67-inch tall divider of some sort for more sense of security for the people, even if it's just a, you know, false sense of security almost. And I have also seen a big change of moving away from fabrics to, you know, microcrobials all over the place whether that be in the panel systems themselves and switching to laminates or in the seating where they want to be able to bleach or wipe down, you know, their attached chairs and such forth. And, and are those requests coming from the client? Um, some are coming from the client. Sometimes you put it in front of the client, you know, well, we're going to dive into the heart of our conversation around winning larger projects here in a moment. But first I'd like to know where each of you uh, gain your inspiration from. I get my inspiration really from my clients. I talk to them and see what their needs are, what their likes are, what their dislikes are. It can be as simple as what color they don't like. And I try and also find out the reason they don't like the color. You know, I, I've heard, you know, you walk into a project and you start putting out textiles or paints or finishes and it's like, I don't like yellow. <laughs> so it's like, well, why don't you like yellow? You know, so I try and find out what they like, what they don't like. I also, you know, I listen to them, 
But then if there's, if I don't agree with something, I will give them my opinion. And then, you know, oftentimes they'll see it from a different direction or they'll see why I want to add something different. So I, you know, I look at trade magazines or, you know, all those journals and I get a lot of emails and I'll look at them. But for the most part, it, it comes from within and really getting to know the client. And that's really where it comes from. I try and do um, all the design that I do based on what I know the client does. So even if it's not branding, it relates to it. Absolutely. I agree with Morell as far as putting your input in. And when you do put your input in, how much distinction it does gain with the client. Now, as far as my inspiration for design, I really like to let them use my website to kind of guide them through picking the design. But usually I also have to redirect them into functionality and figuring out how many people they want to fit in this space. I kind of relate to it like a real estate agent. I show them the house that they requested. I show them the house that they can afford. And then we figure out what they can kind of meet in the middle and this is going to be what you want, the look that you want, but what you also functionally can make work. Okay. A long time ago, in what feels like a galaxy far, far away, I worked for a very large national office products distributor. And one of the lines of businesses they dealt with uh, was office furniture. And even with their national footprint, distribution network, and dealer alliances, it was not always easy to win large projects. Uh, it was definitely a struggle. There are some very well-known players in the industry who customers recognize. And, and when it comes to office furniture, if you're not in with them, you might not even get to bat. So the big question is, how do you do it? How do you go about winning these larger projects when you are a smaller, unaligned dealer? Uh, take me through your process. So we do things a little bit differently than a typical dealer. I myself am part of a design build team, which includes a general contractor, an architect, and myself, and I handle the interior design as well as the furniture. So as much as we possibly can, based on the opportunities, we all try to travel together in a team. So I could be the originator of the project or the general contractor could be the originator of the project. The architect could, but generally it's either myself or the general contractor. So he'll be offered to secure a large project and He'll bring along the architect, he'll bring along the designer and the furniture, and that's where we start there. I'll often have a client that is going to expand and we need to do new construction, and I'll say I have the contractor and I have the architect. So it, it works really well because we're a like-minded team, so we work very well together. We're, we all have the same mindset of perfectionists and so on and so forth, so we're, we in a sense, it's almost like operating in a bubble of um, the, the same people. You know how to work together. And we're very project-based. And we're not out there soliciting other A&D firms right. for business. 
we are, you know, and, and in my past, that's of course what you had to do. But I'd have to say our success in the past seven to 10 years has been by operating this way. So it's a little bit different. It's a, it's fun. Um, it got me into the construction side of things as well, which as we all know, the sooner you can get, um, invited to the project or the party, yeah. the better off you are. <laughs> Well, that's really how we do it. So, Robert, um, Morel seems to be taking a holistic approach, kind of a team-oriented, a lot of different players together working as a team to win these projects. Uh, what's your philosophy? How do you do it? Well, I definitely do it a little different than Morel. Um, <laughs> I market like crazy. I market on the Internet like crazy. I try to be out in front of everybody that has gone to the big dealer and got the big shock of how much office furniture is from the big dealer. And they want something <laughs> that looks like the big dealer has, but don't want to pay quite as much money for it. And hmm. don't want to wait six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks for it. And they're looking for the alternative. I mean, I have a long client base that I've been working with since they started their business. And it was four people in one office, but I'm always looking to work with new clients and constantly driving and trying to drive that funnel through the internet through word of mouth and rarely i'm the opposite i get very little work from a and d firms i they don't want to see me on a project because i'm going to design it a way that they're probably not going to be able to do um well you know what i'm going to switch things up and i'm going to ask this next question first to you robert because of uh the work that you do on the internet in terms of say e-commerce and online how do you compete with people selling office furniture on the internet maybe that's their only outlet uh, is that something that even comes up or do you think of that as a completely separate entity Oh, it's been a constant growing nuisance in the industry, <laughs> I'm sure. But at the end of the day, the, the, you know, my clients know I'm going to bring them a quality product. And um, they're going to get free design. And most of my clients don't want to deal with trying to figure out how to make everything fit and work. And that's where I see the big advantage of working with somebody like me is I'm going to hold their hands from start to finish and that's what they're looking for they don't want the insecurity they can't afford the time of missing dates and missing furniture and how about you morel i would imagine that you know your approach is much different than go pick it yourself on the internet yeah um it, it's funny because when somebody says well i looked this up on the internet and you know i can get this cheaper it's like okay uh, did you forget you have to put it together? Did you forget you're the one who will have to do the freight claims if you happen, which they do happen. Warranty means you're fixing it yourself or you're paying somebody to fix it. You might get the parts, but you're going to handle the whole thing. So, you know, uh, is that worth it to you? Do you pay your people or do, you know, I mean, I try not to say this, but, or do they not work for free because you're spending money somewhere. And then at the end of the day, are you getting the right product? So if they want to shop on the internet, they're generally not our type of a client. But interestingly enough, we will have clients that spend a lot of money with us, you know, in a whole package. And for some reason, they'll wake up one morning and decide to look for that conference table on the internet. 
and then they'll be very proud of themselves <laughs> that they have found it cheaper until we point out it's not the same size, it's not the same materials, it doesn't have electrical in it, and then you hear a, oh, and then I remind them that's why they have us. So that's typically what we find. I haven't run into a lot because I am not um, proposing a lot of furniture you find out there. Although these days, and Robert probably can attest to, some of the manufacturers you wouldn't have thought you'd find on the internet, you're starting to find them on the internet. And it makes it a little challenging when there's some of your manufacturers. Now, this next question, I have a, a gut feeling that each of you are going to have different uh, answers on this because uh, of what you've already mentioned. But in regards to A&D firms, uh, Robert, it, it sounds like that, you know, you don't work with them very often, but they are and can be an integral to these large office furniture projects. So what role do they play in these projects and how should dealers uh, engage, serve the design firm in this process, especially if they're looking to win business. What's the strategy here? And again, I'm, I guess I'm looking not just for what your own personal strategy is, but what do you think for other dealers? What what should they do? Time. Uh, that's the biggest issue right now, especially with the big manufacturers. The A&D firms, when they get with you, they're looking for a quick answer, a confident answer. They want, to, they want to know that they're going to work with somebody that's going to show up on time and make them look good because nobody really wants to look bad. And when I do work with them, I've gotten to a point where they respect my view on the design of the furniture and I respect their view on picking out the colors of the furniture. For me, um, it's been quite a while since we've been in that arena because of how we do business now and how involved we are with the construction phase. But looking back prior to this, I would say that, you know, you can't compete with the relationships they have with the, you know, big dealers, you know, with the steel case and the Herman Miller and the Noel, which I want to say, or will be. But you can, if you can make a connection with them personally and develop a relationship, I think that's your best bet because you'll never be able to compete with all the pomp and circumstance. So it really has to be all about a personal connection because they don't really, you know, everybody's busy and everybody's time is limited. And, you know, if you can serve a purpose and make them look good, I think that's very Robert and Morel, I'd like to talk a little bit more about your relationships with the manufacturers and how that uh, goes into the process of winning these larger projects. As far as my relationship with desk makers, I really love working with the people first. Their designers are great. I take a little different approach. I like to do all my own 3D design. And desk makers has been great about taking whatever I send them as a drawing and figuring out how to make it work because I like to be a little out of the box on my designs and they're definitely open-minded. And they're also great about hitting their timelines and clearly communicating when furniture is going to get delivered and being able to assist me in the process. And Morel, how, how does that work for you when you're working with manufacturers like, say, a desk maker's? Well, for us, I have a project manager who does all the initial drawings. Yeah. And then yeah. we send it over to desk makers and we, we all work together as a team. 
but I, you know, we, we love working with desk makers. The people are outstanding, but more importantly, you know, we feel like we can rely on them. If we need something, they're always there. They're always trying to figure it out with us. How can we do it? If we need something custom, they'll figure it out. Um, so you feel with them, you don't have to, okay, you don't have this. We better go find somebody else who does. You know, I always bring it to them and we always seem to find a way to make it work. And they are very open. They tell you the truth. It's not, well, yeah, we could do it in two weeks. And two weeks later, it's, oh, well, maybe we need another two. Now, notwithstanding what's going on right now with supply chain, but they're out in front of it. They do tell us, okay, we're having a problem with this laminate or this electrical or whatever it is. And if we can work around it, we do. Otherwise, you know, we don't. But, you know, they are one of the local manufacturers or the top local manufacturer I work with. The other manufacturers that are local, you know, do things that desk makers doesn't do, lounge pieces, things like right. that. And so we have a lot of really close relationships with a core group of manufacturers that are very, very responsive to us. But our experience with desk makers is far better than the experiences I had in my last life, working directly for the manufacturer. So that's that's important. So there's another key tip is, you know, find a manufacturer that uh, you can have a good collaborative relationship with. Agreed. The next topic I want to jump into is, and this is a fun one, because we know there's a lot of challenges to winning these larger projects. And in the current situation, the challenges, they just keep growing, right? Lead times for example, are always a challenge in furniture. That's no secret. But now we have national supply chain issues across the board for every type of product. How is this impacting the process of winning these large projects? Are there any advantages to being an unaligned dealer in today's current state? Uh, what's your relationship with manufacturers and how they are supporting your efforts? And are there opportunities in your relationships with perhaps local manufacturers that might give you an edge right now when overseas manufacturing could mean, you know, who knows how long a lead time? So overall, how are you dealing with these extended lead times uh, from your suppliers? As far as the extended lead times, and I see a clear advantage for an open dealer right now. I'm able to look at different manufacturers, see what they have in stock that I this is tangible. I can actually get my hands on and then present it to my client versus the larger manufacturers who are going to do their design, present it to their client, and then figure out how long it's going to take to get it. For me, I think it's, it, a lot of it's the relationship you have with your client. And if you're open and honest and transparent, and so are the manufacturers you're dealing with, it, it's kind of an is, it is what it is situation, which actually takes a lot of the stress out of it because prior to this, it was always, oh boy, they want it in six weeks. We can't get it until seven weeks. What are we going to do? You know, and yes, I agree with Robert. You know, we do have the advantage of if one seating manufacturer is 15 weeks out and another one is three weeks, you know, we know what we need to do. You know, sometimes the client will wait for what they want. Sometimes it just can't be done. They have to move in. Construction will be finished, whatever it is. But I think the fact that everyone is educated now or you at least hope they are, they know what's going on. So when you explain it to them, they do understand. 
sometimes you have to say, if you want to split ship, we can split ship. It might cost a little bit more labor-wise, but what's the most important thing we need to get up and running? So I think that's the biggest change, I would say, is that it's actually kind of stress relief (laughs) because you can really just lay it out there and say, this is what we're dealing with. You know, what is most important to you? And we'll figure it out. Right. And of course, you know, everybody recognizes delays and everything now. So when you say there's going to be a delay, someone's not like, are you really saying there's a delay? They know there's a delay. I want to circle back into the pandemic some more uh, because it's created so many changes in the office environment. And I wanted to see if there's anything else that you're hearing uh, from your customers telling you specifically about getting their employees back to the office. I I, I believe, Morel, you said that you're hearing a lot of 60-40 splits between people working in the office and home and not sure if there's, uh, you know, you have customers that are dying to get their people back and kind of getting things back the way they were or recognizing, yeah, you know what, we've got a new sort of paradigm here and we're going to keep things in that sort of hybrid mode. Well, interestingly enough, the kind of clients we have or the markets we serve, we have a lot of defense, landscaping, actually essential workers. If we all remember when this first started, you could only work if you were an essential worker. And we were in the middle of a very large construction project. So nothing changed for us. We went to work every day. The clients were in a different, that particular client was in a different, two different buildings. And, you know, they get, they offered their employees who wants to work remote, who doesn't. And now, you know, of course, they're, they're all, for the most part, back. It's, you know, if somebody's really uncomfortable, they'll work with them. Um, and they'll try and change days, move them to a different spot. But what I'm seeing is most of the employees don't have a problem going back because the clients I have are very empathetic to making sure the workplace is a safe environment. Right. I see clients that, you know, you always saw everybody has maintenance people come in every night. Well, now they have maintenance people on staff that are constantly cleaning. So whether it's real or not, because they don't, you know, come up to people and start cleaning their keyboard, they do feel a sense of comfort. And I think, you know, a lot of this, of course, is real. And a lot of it is, you know, what your mind can play a trick Mm -hmm. on you if you have more fear than others. Well, I definitely see more tall dividers coming back. But other than that, like Morel, I didn't have a big change to my business. I had a lot of government contracts and we stayed really steady throughout but i am seeing a change in the companies that are coming back full-fledged and the companies that are not there are certain companies that are high-tech companies that are have transitioned to working from home and have a typical that they order for each employee and send to their house luckily in the austin market with that just comes the opportunity for some open development and other companies to come in and swoop up and take up the real estate. Well, this is another thing that's been a big conversation uh, topic is staffing shortages. Uh, the two of you will be lucky if you tell me that nothing much has changed for you. That would be great. But uh, are you experiencing challenges with finding employees and contractors to handle installation and other services? Yes, I'm definitely changing gears. Okay. Well, could you expand on that? I'm curious as to what you're experiencing. Instead of in-house delivery, I'm 
starting to focus on more of a project-based delivery direction with outsourced delivery companies. I'm definitely keeping my inside employees, and we're plenty busy, but for these large projects, I'm definitely outsourcing them more than I ever have before. Interesting. How about you, Morel? For me, the only thing that keeps repeating itself is transportation machines. Mm. And that is getting something from point A to point B. So something that would take a week can take three weeks. Something, I mean, you never know. Like, when will it be here? Who knows? How much will it cost? Not sure. You know, um, I quoted a trailer for January to go out of state. I had to tell the client, that's today's price. I'm not sure what it'll cost. Right. So you can't, pr- you and, can't and price fix that stuff anymore. No, you can't. And the, if, if it's unacceptable, as you say, there's no choice. Right. And I think, uh, you know, I, you know, what else can you say? You know, if you want a price, you know, if, if you're going to tell somebody 7,500 and they say, no, we need a price. Okay. Make it 15,000 and we'll hope for the best. I mean, you don't really want to do that. So it's just hoping that your clients understand you're going to do the best you can for them. You know, you, you're just going to do what you can do. That's really all you can do is do what you can do. Just do what you can do. You know, uh, ultimately, with all we've talked about today and uh, all these steps that you take to win these types of projects, at the end of it all, how do you define success? What does that look like, Morel? Success is a happy client. And success is also, and obviously everybody would say that, but success is also feeling that you did the best you could do for them. You didn't leave any stone unturned. Um, you always put their needs first and, you know, showed them the way. And at the end of the day, and when it's done, you see what you've created and how happy they are. Because when they're appreciated and they say, wow, you did an amazing job, that's what success is. I don't think anybody's pickier about office furniture than I am. So even if my client's happy, I want to be extremely happy with each product I put out. Um, and I want to up myself each time. Okay, well, our time is almost up. But before we go, I wanted to get your take as independent unaligned dealers uh, on the merger of Herman Miller and Knoll that was completed over the summer. It's like $1.8 billion merger. Uh, and Morel, you mentioned it uh, like a few answers ago, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, in my last life, I actually worked for Knoll. So, um, and at that time, in that last lifetime, all of us manufacturers were in one building called the Pacific Design Center. So we all actually worked together a lot, were friends, talked about everything. But for me, um, Herman Miller and Noel are very similar as far as um, the design and how they operate and what they present and the pieces, you know, that they have that are um, studio pieces. So I, for me, it seems logical that they would end up together, but I don't think it affects us one way or another just because of how we work. But that is what I feel. I feel like it's more logical to see a Noel and a Herman Miller come together than a Noel and a steel case. Not real concerned about it. It's not going to affect what I do in one little bitty bit. I've always tried to know more about furniture than the reps that they have in town. 
I don't think that's going to change by them merging together. They may be more confused than ever. That would be an upside. All right. Well, I want to thank my guest today, uh, Robert Cotton, owner of Logical Office Furniture, and Morel Lehman, president of Interspace Systems. Robert Morel, if folks want to get in touch with your businesses, what's the best way for them to do so? For me, um, they could email because email we see and look at all the time, and that's almost more effective than a phone call for first. And so the first email they could try would be info at isifurniture.com, or they could email me directly at mlehman, M-L-E-H-M-A-N, at isifurniture.com. If you want to see what we're really about, you can check us out at LogicalOfficeFurniture.com. It's real clear what we prefer to design, and it's really straightforward and clean on the website. And all of our contact info would be there. Awesome. Again, Robert Cotton and Morel Lehman, thank you so much for your time and wonderful insights today. Thank you, Morel. Thank you, James. Thank you. And thank you for watching this episode of Be Enabled, brought to you by Deskmakers. Want more episodes? Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'll be back with more episodes in the near future. But until then, I'm James Kent. Have a great day and let's talk again soon.